and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? I'm okay. I'm stressed out. You and I are both stressed out. Yeah. Our lives are very stressful right now. You because you're moving into a house. Yes. Um, had some problems with the electricity. Some miscommunications. Oh, slow down. Today. I had some problems with the water first, but oh, that was okay. just a function of the complex that we're a part of. Um, and then, yes, there was a little mix-up with uh, transferring our, our uh, electric account from uh, our apartment to our house. And so uh, about mid-afternoon or early afternoon today... Everything just shut off, and we thought that's strange, and so uh, so we are without power until tomorrow morning. So, and I am very stressed out because things are just, uh, you know, what they are. What's that? Things are all balled up at the head office. Nice. <laughs> it's, my day job is fucking draining me hmm. lately. It is not going well. It is not a pleasant place to be right now. Um, I'm sorry to hear that. So we're both pretty stressed out, but uh, this is usually a good, in addition to the actual therapy I go to once a week, um, this is a good therapeutic exercise for us, and we yeah. thank you, the listener, for uh, indulging us yeah. once a week for, for the three last, hours. For the last six years, exactly. As of recording or as of the episode going up? As of, what you know, whatever. This week? Episode 312 Oh, that's six years. Six years. Yeah. So, All right. Congratulations to us. Yeah. Six years. I guess so. We really you know, hung in there. Here's what I specifically like No about one it. was asking for us to hang in there, and we hung in there. Right. With no prodding whatsoever. Yeah, we have to... We took it upon ourselves to stick around. <laughs> yeah. You know, total apathy can be an obstacle. <laughs> well, um, but uh, That's why I'm glad... I mean, um, I realized when Sean left uh, previously on, I was like, I'm going to do it by myself. Ah, I need to be, like, uh, obligated to someone to do a podcast. When I brought Josh on, like, it made such a huge difference. Even no. though, like, I'm still... Look, let's not mince words. It's my show. More than one lesson. More yeah. than one lesson. Not this one. This one not is this our one. show. Yeah, okay. And so, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's... Uh, but having somebody else there, even just asking, like, so what are we, you know, what are we doing? Yeah. Like... I'm the one coming up with the episodes, but just having someone saying, what are we doing? It makes all the difference in the world. Um, so, but seriously, thank you guys for listening for six years. And specifically, um, thank you because our numbers are the highest they've ever been. Yeah. And I think that's kind of great. I don't know what we're doing. We're doing everything right. I guess. <laughs> no changes. Guess so. No changes need to be made. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, I wanted to go back to my day job being stressful. You know what's helped me get through the days what's that listening to music and podcasts mm -hmm. with my tweaked audio.com slash pretension earbuds mm -hmm. um now i hear some of you out there saying what what's he talking about what's that yeah. um you guys well either welcome aboard because you're new and you know you the rest of your life begins today or <laughs> you have just haven't been paying attention tweaked audio.com End of end of end of URL. There, that's where you go normally for professional quality earbuds in a variety of styles and colors at an affordable price. Yeah, and that's not that's not an instruction. You're merely stating fact. That's yeah, where you go. That's where you go. Yeah. If you want the things that I the thing that I just said. Yeah, we're not telling you, you anything go. you don't already know. You already go there. Right. What we what we want to tell you about now that you're in the fold again. Welcome, brethren. Uh. <laughs> is tweakedaudio.com slash pretension. That's where you go for, again, 
professional quality earbuds yeah. in a variety of styles and colors at an affordable pl- affordable price. Mm-hmm. Marked down one third plus free shipping. One third. Yeah, one thirty three point three repeating percent off. Man, I would totally buy some of these if they didn't already provide some for free for us. Yeah, thanks, um, Bruce. <clears throat> thanks, right. Bruce. Um, what? Anyone else we need to thank? Yeah. So, well, I don't know about thank, but yeah, sure, why not? So, okay, I've got good news for everybody. Uh, the sponsor that we've been talking about for the last few weeks, uh, You're Dead, which is a uh, a grindhouse film that has been, uh, they've been raising money. Blah, 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 American Muscle. Uh, yeah, look, I got two words for you regarding <laughs> You're Dead. American Muscle. Mm-hmm. All right, it's done. You got it. But anyway, they are now fully funded and then some. Uh, I think they actually might ha- uh, have, I think, raised double the amount that they needed. So uh, I'm very excited for them. So uh, as as of the day that that this episode will post, uh, the the uh, fundraiser is over. But go to the uh, the banner at the pardon me the skyscraper at battleshipretention.com. Yep. Click on it to find out more about them. They're going to be shooting this spring, yep. and uh, you can keep up with them and just find out you know what the status is and when it's going to be coming out. Um, it looks really it looks really interesting. Uh, I met uh, the director Jay at. Uh, comic-con and he's really passionate about the project and so i'm just very i'm first off i'm I'm happy that they got it funded i'm happy that we were able to uh, play some role in that hopefully and uh and i'm just uh i'm just excited to see uh, where they go from here all right um here's what we wanted to do it was tyler's idea Mm -hmm. uh for our six uh, six year anniversary um well, I mean, normally we're so guarded about our personal lives and personal opinions and thoughts. Um, uh, we thought we'd open up Twitter and Facebook to some questions. Uh, people, what, what do people want to know about us? And I mean, mostly about our opinions of movies or the podcast and stuff like that, which is what I expected it to be. Um, but uh, we we picked the best ones. I'm not sure how what order you want to go in here. Let's go with the, okay the most commonly asked question. Who would win in a physical fight between Tyler and David? Je- uh, Jesse Tobias and Jack Maxwell. Well, didn't some mm-hmm. other people? Uh, uh, I think I think one or two other people uh, threw that out. I should there. say Jesse T and Jack M. <laughs> Whatever, it's fine. I don't like having my. I wouldn't. Like, I wouldn't want my name said. On I know, podcast. but they put it on Facebook. All right, you're right. So, um, uh, I don't. Uh, it's a draw. I'm. A, I'm a man of peace. I. I wouldn't fight. Hmm. Tyler. Interesting. <laughs> well, look, you work out more than I do. That's true. But I've got an untapped crazy guy rage. F- fair enough. Okay. I do have God on my side. You've got it on your side. I can't. I can't now, yeah, I say you work out, but I do walk a lot and run a little. So if it came down to a kicking match, oh, okay. I might have an edge on you. All right. There. So you're saying I've got we, strong, powerful legs. If we, <laughs> I'm looking at him now. <laughs> and uh, so you, what you're saying is if we... Uh, Agreed to tie our hands behind our backs, <laughs> yeah. and it's all teeth and legs. <laughs> yeah. That uh, Tyler, watch out. So yeah, yeah uh, I don't know. I've never really gotten in a fight except for like with my brother, and uh, and and so having got having pondered this question for the last few days, just like, well, I want you know, of course, I want it to be me, mm-hmm. but I don't know. You're pretty scrappy, I think, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, I think uh, I think it would probably be pretty evenly matched. I mean, the only Maybe if one of us like really like suckered the other one, which I think I would probably do, um, <laughs> I would just I'd just punch you in the back of the head without uh, without announcing what was going to happen. 
But yeah, so I, I think it's probably a draw. I'm sorry if that's a disappointment to people. That's okay. Um, next most commonly asked question, Simon Brunton, Patrick Felton, oh, contributor Patrick Felton, and Caleb McCandless all want to know what our day jobs are. Wouldn't you like to know? Yes, you would. That's why you asked, and that's as far as it's going to go. You're not going to say? No, I'm never going to say what my day job is. I'm deeply embarrassed of my day job, and I was, gonna, and I was getting ready to say it. <laughs> well, I don't know if I've ever got... Okay. Here's what I'll do. I'll go into more specifics of why I don't talk about my day job in case I haven't before. I, in my job, I'm in a capacity where I am working uh, with uh, or dealing with a specific set of films, Mm -hmm. and I don't want that knowledge coloring people's what people think like oh he likes or he hates that because of this. Yeah, don't get me wrong, it does, (laughs) but you don't want people thinking it. Uh, it generally doesn't. There are certain things that, um, that there are, there are certain films that I either like or dislike more intensely because I'm more around them more often. Than Fair I, enough. Than, than I than I would like. You know, there, I, I can think of a few films that I didn't give much thought to before I had this job, and now I really dislike them okay. <laughs> because I'm forced to think about them a lot. But uh, that's why I don't talk about my day job. Okay. All right. I will not go into detail about mine, but I am a uh, photo editor. Okay. Um, anyway. Uh, you want to skip there, over to... I want to skip over to some of the Twitter ones, um, and we'll come back to Facebook. But uh, there's one on this Twitter one that I love, or this Facebook one that I love, mm-hmm. that I don't know. What movie character most represents you as a person? That is tough. As it happens... I wish I'd had more time to think about that one. Yeah, I'm sorry. I should have emailed these to you beforehand, but... Uh, yeah, that's okay. I'm pretty yeah, much surprised um, with the Twitter ones. My, uh, my old therapist actually asked me this, and so I had some time to think about it. And uh, I, I think I came up with, with one right off the bat and another not far behind. And uh, I don't know what this says about me, but uh, if you want, we can hold off so that you have a little bit of time to think about it. Um. Because it's a fun question, or yeah. it can be. It can also be deeply depressing. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. The more I'm thinking about it, it's not. It's generally not positive. Yeah, these characters that I that I think yeah. of. I know. I'll, I'll say this, um, and this is getting really personal. But I might have said on the podcast before. When I see Tree of Life, I think that's a good reason. Brad Pitt's character is a good reason for me not to be a father because I'm. There's a part of me that is afraid I would become that because hmm. I can be, I have you know, I have issues with um, control, and yeah. I would want to. Uh, I'm I I, I I I'm sure if I had a kid and I saw him, it would be the you know the, uh, you know, a bright spot in my universe and everything, and I'd right. change my mind. But that's what I'm. Uh, I, I I do have a part of me that fears that I would turn into that kind of dad. I'm sure everybody. Which my has dad a fear wasn't. Like that. Yeah, it's you know it. But the character is not wholly negative. Like yeah, as yeah. time goes on, he he realizes the good and bad that he has done. Yeah. So, but yeah, the uh, the first one I thought of for myself was Miles from Sideways. Hmm. Um, I I sympathize with that. It just I look at him like, oh shit, all right. And the second one, but that may have actually overtaken Miles from Sideways, is Nixon from the Oliver Stone film Nixon. Uh, st- except I'm not quite as smart or canny, but uh, that level of um, 
needing to prove something to people and uh, yeah. that sort of thing. Uh, I, I relate to that so much that it's like, ah, that's probably not a good thing. Uh, I'm, I'm getting way too personal thinking about it. Oh, you okay. know what's, which one? Which one is weirdly coming up for me? Okay, uh, because it's a it, weird because it's a woman. But um, uh, Deborah Carr in the in Black Narcissist. Hmm, okay, and the idea that um, I think that I am, if I could toot my own horn, I think I'm a generally a pretty intelligent person, uh, which Deborah Carr's character is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I, because of anxieties and inhibitions and all sorts of other sort of like rules and strictures that I set up for myself. Mm -hmm. I keep myself from sometimes being able to, uh, enjoy life or break out the way that, uh, a more relaxed person could. Yep. And I think that's, uh, something that I see in her character and probably a big reason why I've always responded to that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, uh, let's move on to Twitter. From uh from Ian Brill, what are your dream guests? Um, I'm gonna go with Alexander the Great, okay, President James Buchanan, and the character Shoshana from Girls. <laughs> go on. Uh, let's see. Oh, this is gonna disappoint people. Uh. Comedian Mike Schmidt. That's that's it. That's all. No, uh, obviously. Uh, Dream guests like uh, obviously like uh, like an Orson Welles, mm-hmm. um, other people I'm sure. You know, it's uh, part of me just gets gets wrapped up and it's like, well, dream guest, come on, stick with who you think you could get. Dreams are for kids, you know, <laughs> um, not unlike you know tricks. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, so um, so ideally, somebody like a if we were much higher profile, somebody like a uh, Robert Duvall. Yeah. Um, I, I, he's somebody I'd be fascinated to talk to and, uh, and a couple other, like a Jim Jarmusch, I think would be a lot of fun. I'm glad you took it seriously. Yes, uh, I did not. Um, what is your favorite movie that you never want to watch again? That's an easy, easy answer for me. Okay. It's Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Oh. I have seen it twice and I am good for life. Wow. Twice. That <laughs> yeah. is, that's pretty rough. Well, because the first time I saw it and it was, I was in high school. Okay. And so, and I had that feeling at the time. It was like. I think that was really good. I don't think I ever want to watch it again. In uh, like, I guess a few years later in college, after I'd learned a little bit more about, about movies and also had lived in Chicago where the mm-hmm. movie was filmed, I thought like maybe I should, you know, see with my, you know, I, I became a lot more sophisticated a film viewer in a very short period of time. I was like, let me watch this again and reappraise it. It was even better a movie than I remembered. And I was even more strong in my conviction that I will never see it again. Yeah. Um, you know, for a while I would have said seven, which is not a particularly, uh, I mean, there are grisly aspects to it, mm-hmm. but it just, it made me so, I saw it first when I was a kid and we'll, we'll talk more about that later. But, um, so I saw it when I was way too young and then I saw it again several years later and, uh, it brought out like all, all these very deep feelings of paranoia about, uh, you know, what things that could happen to my loved ones and that sort of thing. And, uh. And it was such a deeply unpleasant experience, but it's a great movie, um, and it's one that I think I may wind up owning. And, pro- and I'm, I'll probably watch once or twice more. Uh, but it, but the set, when I watched it again, I was like, "Wow, yeah, my memory for this was pretty good. I, I did not need to see this again." <laughs> uh, real quick, let me go back. Uh, Ian's question—that's of course friend of the show, Ian Brill. His Twitter handle is at ibrill. 
Um, that question was from at Brady underscore Ford. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that. Um, at Mirthbound, your question is funny, but I'm not going to say it because it's gross. I'll tell you what it is afterwards, okay. Tyler. Um, and then finally, uh, this guy, uh, at 100 Years of Movie, says he asks, asks us to come clean. Is there any movie one of you likes, the other is like, what the hell are you thinking? And I'll tell you, I can't think of one currently. Yeah. I can think of one that I used to feel that way about, then I revisited it a few years ago and realized you were right all along. Hoo-ah. And that's Clifford. <laughs> I, mean, I had never seen it until we lived together in college, and so I watched your VHS copy of it, and I did not get it. Yeah. I did not get what the point was. I found Martin Short incredibly just repellent <laughs> in the role, and I thought it was just kind of ugly to look at. Yeah. Um, and... I didn't watch it for maybe 10 years, and then... Uh, oh, this is a fun story. Okay. Um, when I was first dating my now uh, live-in girlfriend, uh, we spent an an evening in at home. We ordered some food. We were going to watch a movie, and she had, from buying a DVD player or, or a Blu-ray player or something, had gotten... You know how sometimes you buy those and you get like free movies? Oh, yes. Uh, she had gotten Transformers, Michael Bay's Transformers, the first one. Mm-hmm. And we were like... <clears throat> you know we both don't like michael bay this would be ridiculous let's just watch this and make fun of it okay all right the movie's about two and a half hours long we were sitting there watching it it was so dreadfully awful that we weren't even making fun of it <laughs> and i was and, and the way i was sitting on the couch the coffee table was bl- blocking the display on the dvd player so i was like okay we have to be at least halfway through this thing mm-hmm. i lean up 43 minutes in and i said I can't do this. I can't watch the rest of this. She was like, oh, thank God, because I was just thinking the same thing. And so we took it out, and I was like, what else do you have? And she was like, I just got Clifford from Netflix. <laughs> and I was like, all right, that's like 89 minutes. <laughs> you know, I yeah. got time. Let's watch that. And so funny. Yeah. The movie is so funny. Well, you got to watch it in the proper one, context, which yeah. <laughs> is turn off Transformers, <laughs> yeah. and you'll be in the mood for Clifford. Uh, there's a line that I try to uh, work in uh, or, or variations of into my daily conversation is when, like he goes, uh, he doesn't like you. I don't know why. <laughs> I certainly think you're a nice enough sort. Yeah, you see, you seem a pleasant enough sort. <laughs> oh. Oh. oh, what an awesome I, movie! For for no particular reason, I was looking up uh, old. Uh, oh, that's that's why because the Onion recently talked about the animated series of uh, Ed Grimley. So it got me thinking about Ed Grimley and then Martin Short's characters in general. And specifically, a character that when I was younger I never understood named Nathan Thurm. Okay. He is the constantly smoking, always sweating, perpetually nervous and passive-aggressive lawyer of big companies. Uh-huh. He represents like big oil, big tobacco, any, any company that is perpetually under fire. He is always their spokesperson. He's just smoking and he never ashes. So it's just this long string of ads. Uh-huh. And it's just Martin Short just being so jittery. And he's got these glasses and he's like, and someone's like, well, you do know that the recent report is like, I know that. <laughs> You don't think I know that? <laughs> How funny that you think I wouldn't know that. Like, he just, he's really, anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, yeah, so my, my answer uh, is probably, and that's the thing, I'm, on, I'm in the minority on this. Game six. It's a movie no one gives a shit about, really, now. But, and, and that's the thing, you saw it knowing that knowing I didn't that you like hated it. it yeah. so, so you watched and you're like, I thought it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Like, you really, you really liked it, actually. Yeah, I really and, enjoyed uh, it. And I, 
I, I guess it's not so much that I hated it because there are movies that I genuinely hate. I was just like, well, what the hell is this movie? I don't. I, I had to rewatch it again to mount a defense of it, but I think I just, I just got into its weird, goofy cadence. Goofy it, cadence I can deal with, but it was just little things. I don't know. Maybe it's the, I, maybe it's there was a, based on a Don DeLillo novel, and maybe it was just a very direct adaptation of that. And so. I don't know. I've never read it. I or read any Don DeLillo actually because I don't. Uh, I'm a you know a philistine. I read Entertainment Weekly. There you go. Mostly, um, but I, I I think I wonder if maybe you were taking the movie more seriously than I was. Not that it's not a serious. Like it's got things to say. Yeah. But I think I was experiencing it more as a comedy. Maybe. I was I can willing tell you, to take it as a comedy. I can tell you the opposite of this question. A movie you don't like that that I I think you are so wrong, and it's from just a couple of years ago. Oh, okay. It's The Kids Are All Right. Oh, all right. A yeah, movie yeah. That I, I, I think you need to watch again. I think maybe you were just in the wrong mindset, because I feel like when you talk about The Kids Are All Right, I feel like you... I, this is like condescending, but I feel like you didn't get it. Like you, 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 you didn't, I, I don't know if you weren't paying attention or like, I feel like you didn't get the depths. You're, you're responding. The things you respond to about it seem very surfacey to me. The things you don't like about it. Whereas underneath that, there's, there's more. It's more about the characters putting on this surface, you know, putting on this facade. I suppose. Anyway. I mean, whenever I put you on have a one facade, like that? Okay. I, you know, like I say real things and I, you know, I, I, I speak better. Um, you know, if I'm trying to prove something to somebody, um, whereas that dialogue is awful and it's delivered incredibly well, we'll talk about it another time. Um, is there one like that, that I dislike that you don't get why I don't like it? Um, not off the top of my, not the top of my head. I'm sure there is if I really thought about it. Um, but, uh, I did, you know what? I did think of another movie that, uh, that you like and I don't, and both of us have that attitude. And that is, of course, and this is just a matter of taste, obviously. Uh-huh. And that is uh, Breakfast, Breakfast of Champions. Oh, yeah. Good oh, Lord. man. But you know what? I think if Speaking I were to rewatch that, cadence. I think I might actually enjoy it. I think, yeah. If, if you have any sort of maybe anxiety disorder, <laughs> you don't want to watch Breakfast of Champions or Trixie, which were uh, yeah. both uh, Ellen, Ellen Rudolph made those, uh, I think, back to back or about I that. think so. They were within like two years of each other. Yeah. Because um, they are insane, insane sort of yeah. like sweaty. They feel like movies on Adderall. Like they're just yeah. really jittery. They they almost they had a. It almost feels like you could watch Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and those two movies, and it feels like it all takes place in the same universe. <laughs> yeah, the same and then when, filthy, gross, sweaty universe. And then when he did Secret Lives of Dentists, he stepped back from that, except for the part where everyone has the flu and it's like a fever dream, where that yeah. makes sense to shoot it like that. Yeah. Uh, and that movie I thought was all right. I, I like Secret Lives of, Den- Lives of Dentists quite a bit. And that's a that's a male character I'd maybe relate to a little more than I'd than I'd like. Hmm. He's not a uh Campbell Scott. Yeah, but he's he like I mean basically the idea that he uh finds out his wife is cheating on him and doesn't say anything because he doesn't want to, I guess, rock the boat. He doesn't he's not willing to change his life. Yeah. Even though he's horribly crushed that his wife is cheating on him, it's easier, or he thinks it's going to be easier for him to just stay and try to keep things, stay the course, and ignore it. Well, he also or, does have two children that he's trying to... But still, I mean, you can still be a a father and, like, address this to your wife, but he's not even yeah. wanting to address it. Yeah. And uh, I think that also, I talked about my issues of control and stuff, like, I, I sometimes am... 
um, knee-jerk resistant to change. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I do kind of relate to that character a little more than I'd, than I'd like. I like that when someone asks that question and we think of, what are all the negative things about it? <laughs> like, oh, well, like you and the, I have in common. If I'm being... Because uh, that's the thing. Uh, it's one of those things where uh, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to uh, paraphrase from the character of Nixon, from Oliver Stone's Nixon. Uh-huh. Uh, when I look at certain characters, I see what I want to be. But when I look at Nixon, I see what I am. <laughs> and uh, so I could talk about how much I, how there are certain aspects to Russell Crowe's character in The Insider that I see, but he's a, he's a hero. So it'd be easy for me to be like, I'm like this guy, man. Right. But it's just like, no, I'm like the guy who, like, if I was president, there's no question I would wind up out of sheer paranoia doing something horribly illegal. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, so moving on. Yeah, a couple real quick ones. Uh, yeah, we, I think we got most of the big ones out of the way. You didn't put a name on this one. What is the most important movie ever made? That is also from Flint. Okay, so Flint Poff, who also asked what movie character represents you as a person, says, what is the most important movie ever made? If I had to pin it, I mean, you can't, you can't pin it down to one. Yeah. If I had to, I would say The Battleship Potemkin. The That's what I was going to say. Namesake of our show. Yeah. Watch out. There we go. That's why we do a show together. That's why we named it after that movie. Mm-hmm. And then Peter Danbury says, what novel would you like to see made into a movie, either for the first time or to make up for a travesty, and who should direct it? Um, my pet one for years has been Snow Crash, and it's oh. being made into a movie by mm-hmm. um, Joe Cornish, who did Attack the Block, which I think is a really, really good choice. I really liked Attack the Block. Mm-hmm. I would maybe have liked um, the Wachowskis to take a, a crack at that at that, uh, uh uh, book as well, but you know what? I'm not going to complain about Joe Cornish because yeah. Attack the Block was really good, and uh, I am very much looking forward to Snow Crash becoming a movie. What's yours? Uh, there's two I can think of. Okay, one is the Phantom Tollbooth, huh. which was made into a movie in oh. the 70s. And I know what other one you and I both agree. Absolutely, on. and we'll get there in a second. Yeah. Um, and I think with with special effects and stuff, provided provided of course that they didn't that they wouldn't turn it into the new Alice in Wonderland and what it looks like the uh, Oz the Great and Powerful just like leave the armies out of it alright just let it be this quaint little vaguely disturbing story and yeah. uh, just have somebody like a it's obvious but like a Guillermo del Toro or something like yeah. like that um, and then the other one is of course The Thief of Always there you go which but, for a while but, was going to be uh, it, it's gone it in and out like, yeah. much like uh, The Giver I don't know if you've read The Giver that's one that yeah. always like there's always hints like oh maybe someone's working on a screenplay maybe you know, someone's got the rights yeah but yeah, The Thief of Always, if you haven't read it, it's a, I, by, by Clive Barker's standards, it's a children's book, but it's not for little children. Would you say like a like 11 or 12-year-olds, maybe? I think so, and certainly you scary. as an adult can, can appreciate it. Oh, yeah, it. yeah. I, I, mean, I read it in high school, as did you. Yeah, I re- you, uh, you lent me your copy, and I read it in a day. Yeah, it's, it's uh, really cool. It's probably my favorite Clive Barker novel. Mm-hmm. I like his short stories. My favorite Clive Barker short story is called In the Hills, the Cities. Mm-hmm. Clive Barker fans will know exactly which one that is, and I won't even try to describe it because it's uh, so fucking cool. I also like the Midnight Meat Train, which they made into a movie, mm-hmm. which um, I enjoy quite a bit. Did you yeah, like that movie? I did. Um, I mean, it's obviously the book. The, the story is a short story. It all takes place. It's all one train ride in one night. Oh, in, okay. in the story, they fleshed it out into an entire movie, but with the help of Clive Barker. Mm-hmm. So it turned into a, a pretty cool thing. That, What's I, that I saw a midnight screening. I don't know if you remember Lionsgate changed owners and they had the rights to the midnight meat train and the new owners didn't like it. And they essentially got rid of it. They, they gave it 
no major release at no. all. So um, the new art, the wonderful new art uh, here in Los Angeles, great uh, theater, uh, showed it at midnight with the director in attendance. It was essentially its Los Angeles premiere because mm-hmm. Lionsgate wasn't going to release it theatrically. Uh, and that was, uh, that was a really good time. Seeing, seeing that seems that like Lion, that seems right up Lionsgate's alley. I don't know what the what the uh, maybe is. it is now. Maybe the new owners didn't know what their brand was yet, or yeah. you know, I, I think with these things, maybe like someone from the old regime who was championing it yeah. rubbed these guys the wrong way. And yeah, so, you know, there's always that. Possibility. It's always that kind of politics. What's the name of that? I never read it, but uh, and I know that it was made into a, a crazy ass movie in the '80s. What's that Clive Barker story that's just incredibly gruesome and violent? It's a short story. Rawhead Rex? That's the one. I never saw the movie. I was like, it's not Wreck-It Ralph. What is it? <laughs> so, yeah. And I never saw that movie. Um, the thing about that short story, okay, I really like his short stories uh, more than his his books, I think. Um, uh, but the thing about Rawhead Rex, the short story, is, yes, it's incredibly, incredibly gory, mm-hmm. but there's a sense of humor to it. And from, from what I've heard about the movie Rawhead Rex, it just yeah. is a pretty standard, like, monster Slash a slasher film where the slasher is a a prehistoric monster that was buried under a boulder in New England or whatever. Or no, not New England, England. Yeah, I don't know if it's England in the movie. Anyway, I'm rambling. Um, but yeah, the thief of always. We need to come up with a director. Yeah, I mean, I you know, it's interesting. I feel like you could probably go with somebody like a Spike Jones. Yeah, who did? Who I think would bring a lot of heart to it, but still well, not shy away from the disturbing aspects of it. Let me ask you this. Okay. What if Henry Selick does it stop motion? Oh, that'd be good, right? That'd be great. Yeah. I think that's a good However, one. it would be great. However, there is something in my mind very appealing about like watching live action characters yeah. deal with this. Yeah, Spike Jones is a good stuff. One. But uh but yeah, so um okay, what uh what other questions done. do we have? We're done. I think we did them all. Uh yeah. Oh yeah, we won't answer that one from from Rory, no offense, Rory, but it was just the, the deal with the documentary made about me oh, that we've talked about in the past. Um, yeah, just a, uh, my friend Brian that I knew in college. He was in a he was part of a documentary class, and uh, he he had to make a short documentary about somebody he found interesting. He was going to make it about his twin brother, but they said you can't do family, and huh. so he said, "Hey, Tyler, you're kind of interesting. You want me to make a documentary about you?" And I was just like, "Okay," um, and it was an interesting experience because. What do you do when you are when you're making a movie about somebody who is also making movies at the time? And so I was always very aware that the camera was on me. And so but I also tried to like I do with this show and more than one lesson. I also try to not be quite so guarded. It's it's a very strange thing. So he made this 20 minute documentary, but he had like 12 hours worth of footage. So he turned it into a 90 minute film. Uh, that features David, excuse me, it features David, features uh, Jen, it features our uh, former roommate Cole. Um, and uh, it was, it's it's fun to watch. Uh, it's yeah. strange. Yeah. Fun by which I mean like, I haven't seen it in years, but if you were yeah, to watch yeah. it now, you'd be like, ah, look at us back then. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, so. I, I'd, be, I'd be afraid to. But was Brian, was, well, I'm sorry, what was his twin's name? Michael. Was Brian or Michael in one of my shorts? Here's the deal. We're, we're getting nostalgic, and then it'll get us into the topic. It's our six six year anniversary. We're mm-hmm. indulging a little bit. Um, for a long time, I've always said that my favorite of the short films that I made in college was uh, one called All Messed Up that you that you were in. That I yeah. still think is uh, I'm really happy, uh, except for one shot that came out overexposed. I'm really happy with it, and I think that 
uh, you and I have talked about the idea of doing something with it, mm-hmm. uh, with the premise. Uh, so that that was essentially I was I was ahead of the game on the whole vampire thing. Yeah, this was two thousand three or four, and uh, oh, that was that might have been. 2002 no that, that would have been three i think yeah yeah i think it was 2003 um and this was a uh, uh it was a, it was a vampire slash detective noir story i don't want to go into too much because actually we do want to do we, <laughs> we might want to do something with this idea in the future never know um but i'm also really proud of one that i made that it was for a different class altogether where i was just supposed to make a dream sequence i don't know if you ever do you remember this one uh yes i do you were the me surrogate yes in that and um, I remember watching it in the or screening it in the class, being like, "You got some weird dreams." And in retrospect, I realized that I was y- using that short film to process a lot of stuff about my dad dying. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Bri- was Brian. Brian, was I believe in it was it. Brian. Yes, and he was a guy who showed up in different scenes having a seizure on the ground. That mm-hmm. I say, me, but you mm-hmm. as me would essentially ignore yes and there was i I remember one time uh i ignore that to go and make out with somebody and so your now wife my now wife jen and it was a very strange experience um partially because it was like cold and and we made out sitting on a sidewalk yeah that's right so it was freezing brian was twitching by us and and we and you said like just really go for it. Uh-huh. Like you're really like you really want to do this. It's like no problem. I'm way ahead of you. I'm not sure if I like the camera there, and may, and yeah, maybe I do. I don't know. But yeah, so it was it was not experience. I, sh- I, I miss I, I miss film school. I don't have. Uh, I, I miss some of film school. I don't I, actually miss filmmaking that much. But that one was pretty like low stakes. It wasn't a lighting class. Once I got into lighting classes, and I had to like so much equipment. Like I got kind of annoyed. With, yeah, you stick with, with the that? directing classes; they'll get they'll get someone to handle the, handle <laughs> your lights. You'll be fine. But that one was just like me and a handheld camera. I shot most of it natural light outdoors. Yeah, uh, and uh, I'm really happy with it. If I had a VCR, because I think I have it on a VHS or I have it on 16 millimeter. Yeah, I can't remember, or, or maybe both. Uh, I would like to revisit that. At some Any point. VHS you have, uh, you can give it to me. I've got one of those uh, combos. I can burn it onto a DVD for you. All right. So, what, you, anyway. what is your favorite the thing that you made in film school? Uh, let's see. Probably, uh, you know, I, I go back and forth. I made a, a little uh, mockumentary, Michael Moore style, that I was quite pleased with. Yeah, we've talked about it on the show before. Yeah. Uh, and then there was one that I made called Everybody's Got One, which is a post-sync sound film, uh, which is basically about this. It was kind of reflecting, like, my general attitude at the time of living in a city and feeling quite alone and all that. Um, and just feeling and being in college where, you know, being a politically conservative, being a Christian and all that. It's not that I, I certainly didn't feel persecuted, but I didn't necessarily feel like, you know, when the professors are openly mocking of things that if I were to raise my hand, say, uh, excuse me, sir. You know, <laughs> I, I felt like that. And so I often felt uh, kind of kind of lonely. Which early one is on. everyone's got? Everyone's got it's one. the one where not unlike yours, uh, I walk around and I and I keep hearing conversations and arguments off screen. Uh, right, 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 right. Um, I did a voice. You you did a couple voices, yes. Oh, okay. So um, yeah. Ah, the old days. I also this is one that is very silly one you did with our friend Roy. <laughs> it was uh it was for your comedy directing class. Yeah. Right? And it was a commercial a, a commercial, commercial for, for RC Cola. RC Cola. <laughs> yeah. Where Roy 
uh, I don't know if Roy listens to the show. I still like see him on on Facebook and stuff. Yeah, sometimes. yeah. Uh, but Roy is a very small person, very thin. Like he's a yeah. He's just a petite guy. Yeah. And the the thing just started with Roy dressed kind of like a greaser, like in jeans and a white t shirt, standing next to the fridge and saying in a very aggro voice. I'm a big man with a big thirst. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and when I'm thirsty, I reach for a can of RC Cola, which he pulls out of his pocket. And he goes, he's like, it tastes great. and It's got enough caffeine to keep me going. RC Cola. I drink it. So shut up. <laughs> yeah. And then, then that was, and then that was the, uh, the tagline for that commercial. Yeah. And so then my narrator voice comes in, which is just RC Cola. We, we like it. So shut up. <laughs> um, but then the other, you did a series of them. Cause the other one was about like the off screen voice talking to him about RC Cola and it's, what it can do for you yeah and it, it kept like there was money in his wallet all of a sudden yeah and then, like the last thing is that uh, he mentions that his father passed away and then the narrator goes oh really maybe you should have another drink and so he takes a drink and then you hear this slow pounding like a zombie at the door and uh oh that's very funny this has gone on a, a very long time sorry everybody hopefully yeah, well, you found this interesting let's get into it shall we so what we wanted to talk about because we haven't been self-indulgent enough um, is to talk about um, uh, the things uh, I was going to say movies but we don't want to we're not really going to limit this right. to movies things cultural things that we experienced in our childhood that shaped both our tastes and our mm-hmm. personality yeah um, and it's funny I'll, I'll start actually because just last this past weekend um natalie's uh nephew uh stayed over her mo- her you know his his mom and her fiance went out on out of the town mm-hmm. uh and so he's he stayed with us and we and which we do every once in a while when they want to go out it's fun we watch movies we play games uh he's a great kid and i, I have a bunch of screeners you know from uh last year's movies and we were looking for kids movies to watch uh, and he'd seen a lot of them, he you know, um, uh, already. And uh, Natalie wanted to watch Paranorman because she hasn't watched it yet. And I mm. loved it, and James liked it. But James like was like, basically, <laughs> I mean, he didn't say it like this. Cause, like I would say it. He didn't say, "I have to admit, <laughs> it scared me quite a bit." Yeah. So we ended up we ended up watching Brave, which is also kind of scary. And yeah, which, I don't surprisingly know, so, right? I don't know if it's because I had heard nothing but things about how mediocre it was and don't get me wrong i see that i enjoyed it a lot more than i expected to um but yeah it doesn't it 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 didn't it wasn't unexpected in the way the best pixar movies are i guess what i'm saying um but i also found that it's sort of the supernatural the 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 buys the suspensions of disbelief Mm -hmm. were more uh, consistent and believable than in things like Ratatouille and Up, which I've always had problems with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it has it's a it's a it's a trade off. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I read your review afterwards, and you're right. It's a it's beautiful. It's worth seeing just for how beautiful yeah. it is. Anyway, that's another point. Uh, and so I was like thinking about what movie scared me as a kid, and I can tell you the scariest thing to me. It was never enough to keep me from wanting to rewatch the movie, right? Because yeah. I always rewatch movies even if they scared me. Uh, something that was intensely terrifying to me was the shipwreck sequence in An American Tale hmm. when Fievel is separated from his family. Interesting. Um, 
I don't know what that, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I think. Uh, I, and I sort of re-experienced, I was uh, earlier this year when I watched Life of Pi. It's the same idea. It's a shipwreck yeah. where our character is separated from his family. Yeah. And they're, uh, well, I don't think they're, I'm trying to remember, they're not dead in American Tale. He ends up reunited with them, doesn't right, he? Right, right. Yeah. In Life of Pi, they're dead. They sure are. <laughs> um, but, uh, 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 I, I'm not sure what uh, I, you know. I was just talking about like making a short film to help me process things. I, I, I think like part of a big part of I've always believed this. A big part of growing up is like learning to accept that the world is scary. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if that's me being cynical or what, but I think that's an important thing. You know, and I and and like I think. Kids who get to grow up too long without being, without having anything uh, challenge them, you know, yeah. like I'm, find, I'm trying to find a nice way of saying that I don't like rich kids. <laughs> it's a it, it's it's a it's a personal bias that I have tried to rich work on. Rich kids can still lose lose family members. I, and that I, kind of thing. Look, I know that. Okay. I have a knee jerk bias against bias <laughs> against kids who grew up rich, and okay. it's my problem, not their problem. I know that. Um. But uh, I, I I do think that was uh, that was something a lot of kids have to go through, and that was that was a big one for me. And also, weird uh, Ursula in Little Mermaid was also pretty scary to me. I was seven, I think, when that came out. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know. I, I also probably I'm just now realizing, no coincidence. I have there's a name for it. It's not a fear of drowning, but it's a fear of large bodies of water. It's hmm. like called like thalassophobia or something like that oh my because i've looked it up because i think i have it to some extent because i'm not afraid of like i'm not afraid of going into a swimming pool or something but if you get if you get into like a lake or an ocean i get pretty worried about that sort of thing oh yeah as you should (laughs) yeah that's where the monsters are yeah it's not for us yeah (laughs) we we don't even we don't really know what's down there oh here's the thing i don't need any uh you know octopus uh, sea witches just a big old shark is fine for for, for me you yeah, know like yeah, yeah i uh so yeah between the american i mean american tale and little mermaid i have some sort of fear of the ocean yeah i just needed jaws yeah that did the trick for me <laughs> i don't think i saw that till i was a little older i saw that i think a lot of i think a lot of uh the stuff that shaped me that was not comedic that's that's a separate thing i think I think, um, I think most of ours are going to be comedic. Yes. Uh, but a lot of the stuff, a lot of the non-comedic stuff, I think it came about by having an older brother and also having parents that, you know, in retrospect, when I talk to a lot of my friends, I realize like, man, my parents are pretty cool. Like they, <laughs> what they were willing to let me watch and, and all that, you know, um, it's almost just like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't show this five or six year old jaws <laughs> but it's just so damn good you know it's rated, rated pg uh, yep yeah, there you go yeah so really what's the problem and uh and then uh the face melting sequence from raiders uh always oh, yeah. got me that's a big one yeah um but uh and then then there are just various things in uh some of those old disney films uh-huh. um the uh it wasn't the heffalo it wasn't necessarily the heffalump and Woozle's scene, it was what precedes that, which is the introduction of Tigger. Okay. Now, of course, once Tigger arrives, 
the tension is over and you realize, oh, it's just this goofy guy. Um, but before that, he's making that little growling noise and Winnie the Pooh is just walking around and, and he doesn't know what it is. Like, and he's like, you know, is anyone there? And he's, and, and he's doing a very childlike thing. And he's like, tell me, he goes, is that you? Piglet, like he's trying to convince himself that oh, I'm sure it's fine. Right. I'm sure it's somebody I'm already familiar with, you know. And so it was all, all this stuff, and it was very frightening to me as a kid. But that's something that, in theory, I should have been seeing. Um, mm-hmm. But old time, you know, old time Disney, you know, as I've said before, creepy as hell. Lampwick yeah. turning into a donkey is terrifying. That's one I was gonna like. That's one that scared like scared me as a kid, and watch it now. It, I think it's it upsets me more now. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, like at the time, just seeing the kid transform was was disturbing. Uh, now, when I hear him call for his mama, yeah. and it's just like, okay, I think I need to take a nap. Yeah, <laughs> provided I can sleep. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, but I think I think having an older brother um, who you know, I mean, I saw seven uh-huh. in the theater. So that's ninety five. I'm thirteen. Is that the first R-rated movie you saw? In a oh my no! The first one I saw was Die Hard Two. Um, wow, which which my brother, which my dad uh, watched with my brother and I because he thought it would be fine. First movie I saw in a theater. Uh, first already movie I saw in a theater. And oh, we'll we go back to the, first. We saw movie. that on video. I don't know what the first one I saw in the theater was. Oh, first, first already movie I saw was Die Hard. That was one my dad said, "Don't tell your mom I let you watch this." Yep. Uh, I was like eight. <laughs> um, uh, so that's probably actually pretty formative. It remains to this day the movie I've seen more times than any other movie. Yeah. Um, first already movie I saw in the theater was Nick of Time, starring Johnny Depp. Ugh. And it was also my dad. It was like my dad and my uncle Wes were in charge of like all the cousins on my mom's side of the family for one, or not all of them, but like most of them mm-hmm. for one day. Like supposed to take them all to the movie movies, and I think we we're gonna go see. I think the idea was to see like Toy Story. Is that would that have been on the same time as Nick of Time? Yeah, ninety five. That's right. And I had a already seen Toy Story, but b like I was the oldest of the kids who were going. Mm-hmm. And so I think what ended up happening is my dad, Michael West, took all the little kids to see Toy Story. Um, my sister and my second cousin Jordan went to see uh, maybe Now and Then, something that like uh, like aimed at that age. Yeah. And my and I was like, I want to see Nick of Time, and my dad was like, All right. <laughs> and I saw it and then after, afterwards because this is like he didn't ask me like was it especially violent he was like there wasn't any sex in it was there and I was like no there wasn't there's, there's no time the movie's in real time yeah, yeah. but uh, that was uh, that was the first art movie I saw in a theater and the first time I was ever in a theater it was probably the first movie I ever saw alone in a theater as well Um, hmm. and there were maybe two other people in the movie theater, it was like a matinee. The movie had been out for a few weeks. Interesting. Uh, uh, I don't think that's a formative experience. Although I, you know, now that I say it, like going to the movies alone is something that I came to love doing, and still do. Most of the movies I see are alone now because I'm going to the screenings. Right. Even, yeah. even, even when I didn't, like when I lived in when we lived in Chicago, I'd say eighty percent of the times I went to the movies, I was going alone. Yeah, it's, I didn't. I didn't go to a movie alone until. Uh, college until yeah. living with you uh and i saw i was I like saw in the bedroom alone and um focus and a few other things that's right because you wouldn't go see training day alone right yeah what am i some kind of loser you yeah you tried to convince me to go and i didn't want to see it 
because I'm stupid. Stupid. Because it turns out it's a really cool movie. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that was that, yeah. I definitely go to movies alone. Um, but uh, I was trying to think of this more. I wanted to say about Die Hard. Uh, I guess. Well, I know I've told the story before. This will get us into the comedy thing mm-hmm. about. Um, we talked earlier about getting in fights. When I got into a fight at the bus stop, do you remember this story? Hmm. I, I was one of my quote unquote friends, kids in the neighborhood you hang out with. Got it. Yeah. He weirdly had the most like uber strict, like Catholic dad who like wouldn't let him res- listen to what he called rock and roll music. Like it was that strict, mm-hmm. but for some reason had no problem taking his kids to R-rated, movie, R-rated movies all the time. That is surprising. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, this was like at at his birthday party. We watched Total Recall at his like slumber party, and his dad just like fast forwarded through the three breasted alien again. People only care about the nudity. Like the fact that a guy's fucking arms get ripped off, and then Arnold Schwarzenegger makes a joke. Like <laughs> yeah. that's not. That's okay, but yeah. watching people gasp for air as their eyeballs uh, yeah, uh, yeah. almost no, explode. Yeah, that's all okay, but God forbid, three breasts. <laughs> that's fifty percent worse than uh, the the pair you briefly see at the beginning of Die Hard, which again, don't think I didn't notice. Oh, no question old. about it. Um, but uh, anyway, he was so this kid whose dad took him to see a lot of R-rated movies was making fun of me because his favorite movies were yeah t2 uh, i don't know what else uh, whatever other violent thing total mm-hmm. recall that sort of thing um and my favorite movies at the time were you know ghostbusters and uh things that were funny yeah and so he was making fun of me because the movies i liked were all comedies now here's the thing t2 Total Recall, solid movies. Oh yeah, still very yeah. good. Good movies, but yeah, it's it's. But because it's as a, a comedy genre, nerd, like it's yeah. Of course, I mean we're kids. We're not going to say that, but yeah. yeah. Um, but, but I was but basically what did you getting do? made fun of. What's that? What did you do instead I of make that argument? I flew into a blind rage, and I pushed him over onto his back, and he. Oh, another thing about this kid's dad. I'm glad I'm not saying his name. Um, his dad also. We're talking about a fifth grader here. Was teaching him to box. So is that what the what he called it? <laughs> yeah. So I pushed him down. And like I'm sure it looked like the most pathetic nerdy, just like <laughs> like like the version of nerd raids that Brian Posehn always does. Just this like, is <laughs> this is for this is for Peter Vakeman. Yeah, <laughs> I just pushed him over. He popped up and then popped me right in the jaw. <laughs> like, oh man! Like perfectly thrown for a fifth grader perfectly thrown punch just socked me in the jaw and i was i reeled back and then the bus showed up <laughs> and then that was the end of the fight man, um man. but uh uh yeah okay so that's like i said this will get us into the comedy thing most of what formed me formed my taste is comedy uh mm-hmm. if we're still at, uh we're getting now into out of elementary school into middle school years um it was during a Middle school, I can't remember what grade. Middle school, spring break, uh, we all went out. My family, we all went out to Virginia to visit my aunt and uncle, the aforementioned Uncle Wes. Um, and 
uh, Uncle Wes is a, uh, to this day a super cool guy, um, and I like talking to him. He has a lot of uh, he has very good taste, and he had on VHS Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Mm-hmm. We stayed with them a week. I maybe watched Monty Python and the Holy Grail fifteen times, mm-hmm. twelve to fifteen times in a week, uh, because it, I mean it was just it is to this day I think the funniest movie of all time, Airplane. Maybe being a contender. In yeah, there. I think Airplane is my choice. Um, yeah, because I rewatched Airplane again somewhat recently, and it's even funnier than I remember. But uh, Mighty Python and the Holy Grail is probably what I think to be the, is the funniest movie of all, all time. Um, and that will get me into one of the main things my sense of humor is this... Uh, the blend of clever and silly. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like very much so. That that's that that's what that's what does it for me. Like, I mean, I'm okay with just plain silly comedy too. I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head. I don't know. Oh, uh, Clifford. <laughs> yeah, but like, Monty Python could be really brainy, mm-hmm. you know, and also just have people slapping each other with fish. Yeah. It, well, I mean, it's yeah. It can it can be like, you know, come and see the what is it. Injustice inherent in the system. What is it? Violence inherent in the <laughs> that system. That would be the violence inherent in the system. Yeah. Come and see the violence inherent in the system. Yeah. And it can also have the the bunny that <laughs> flies around and cuts people's heads off. You know, like it, it's got both. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, the opening, the opening of Monty Python with the credits that keep changing. You know, mm-hmm. and then the like apologies for the credits and yeah. like the people they've been sacked. They've have been sacked, which is the first time I heard that, but I thought it was funny. Um, that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's it's completely ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. Like mm-hmm. obviously they would have had time to fix the credits, uh, but then it's also these like long wordy things. When yeah. I you know I like I like wordiness in my comedy sometimes. Sometimes, I yeah brevity is still the soul of wit, uh, and uh, it's something I truly believe. But I do there is sometimes a humor in things going on too long. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like one of my <coughs> I often say that I don't like Family Guy and I don't like Seth MacFarlane those things are true but then I'm always pointing out things that I do like because there's yeah. always like every episode of Family Guy has something that's really funny to me yeah yeah uh, and the thing the classic thing of Peter hurting his knee and going <laughs> ah <laughs> like that's over and over again yeah that's very funny anyway we're getting off topic uh, I've been talking too long because I've got, I got more comedy stuff to go through yeah. including a big one maybe even more influential to me than Monty Python we'll get to that later okay. what, what else do you have so this actually, so this topic came about because for the last several months, for whatever reason, um, I was thinking of putting together a blog post of the various things from my childhood, which I think basically means like age 13 and under. Um, the, like, take the, all these things, put them together, and you have my sense of humor. Uh, like, put them together, age them, and then you've got my sense of humor. So... So I just started thinking about like everything it could be. And I realized that for people our age, um, there's like the early, the late eighties, early nineties were a really great time for meta humor for children, tiny tunes, Tasmania, animaniacs. Yeah. uh, And then the Looney tunes in general, like they always seem to like, there was always the, the comedy that was happening, but then there was almost always stepping back. Yeah, there's always commenting. been a postmodern is bent to Looney Tunes. Yeah, definitely. and Who Framed Roger Rabbit had it too. Like it just. <laughs> Can I tell you a story about me as a little kid? Sure. 
my dad my dad loved to show me movies it's one thing i really uh am glad about mm-hmm. um he would show me his favorite movies things like raiders of the lost ark or the star wars movies which i first watched in one day one mm-hmm. well, pretty much one sitting i watched star wars empire strikes back and return of the jedi um i think i it was probably a saturday and i probably did it again on sunday yeah um I make fun of Star Wars now a little bit, or make fun of people who were a little too into Star Wars, but when I was that age, it had just the same oh, yeah. effect that it had on any other movie nerd, and is, is as, those movies are as formative for me as they are for any self-respecting movie movie nerd that's in our age group. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, but uh, something my dad would say if he was watching a favorite movie of mine, and I was, you know, I was a little kid, if something was important, he'd say, you know you pay attention to that like remember that mm-hmm. you know um and then i had seen who from roger rabbit somewhere else and i was watching it again with my dad and when um christopher lloyd warns his henchmen like one of these days you'll laugh yourself to death i turned to my dad and i was like remember that <laughs> that's adorable <laughs> yeah um but yeah and so so that combined with that was you know right around then was when uh Mystery Science Theater 3000 was starting. Oh, yeah. And so all of this... And, I didn't and have I, cable, so I, I, I saw very little yeah, of Yeah, I'm but. one of the... I, I think I was one of those rich kids you were talking about, <laughs> um, by which I mean vaguely upper middle class. Um, we got our money from big oil. That's actually true. My dad worked for Texaco. But, um, so, well, you're not telling the rest of that story. What was that? Your dad working for Texaco. There's an, there's an ending of that story that makes your dad like an awesome... Like a superhero among dads. <laughs> uh, I guess so, yeah. Uh, the It's like my favorite thing in the world. Yeah, think, well, his, It makes his, me think your dad's awesome. His job was to negotiate uh, oil deals, and uh, there was a time when they asked him to uh, misrepresent. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's the word they used. I think it was. Um, so that they could make a little bit more money, and he thought, I, I, I don't think that's a good thing, right? <laughs> that's probably bad. And so... Um, so I think he opted not to do it, and at the same time, start looking, uh, start making preparations to quit. Um, and so he he did. That's super and then, awesome. And then the next job he got was on a road crew in Southern Missouri, and worked that for like three months. It's the happiest I ever saw him. And then he got another corporate job, uh, but and uh, it wasn't the public sector, but it was like a like a power company and stuff like that. But yeah, so it was, I was very formative though, like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm very that's proud a, of that. That's an awesome influence. And it's interesting because one of my dad's favorite... Uh, my dad introduced me to the play um, An Enemy of the People uh-huh. by uh, Henrik Ibsen. Uh-huh. I got to be qu- careful not to say Henry Gibson. All right. Yeah. Um, but uh, which is you know about this guy who takes a stand, uh, yeah. I, even though he could get in trouble for it in some way. Anyway. Do you know um, what example my dad set for me that I still have trouble looking up to? What's that? Okay. I come from an enormous extended Catholic family where there are mm. always gatherings. You know, I'd mentioned earlier my second cousin, like it wasn't uncommon to have second cousins or like the second wife of my mom's second cousin, you know, showing up at these parties, you know, um, or not parties, but like get togethers, christenings, whatever mm-hmm. the kind of thing where the priest is there. Yeah. That yeah. sort of thing. Like you see, on, you see on the Sopranos and you think that looks old fashioned. Like that's kind of minus, Organized crime. <laughs> the Sopranos way of life is kind of how I grew up. You don't up. know. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Maybe they, maybe you were the Michael of that family. They, they didn't want you to, uh, anywhere near it. Uh, but, you know, sometimes someone will bring a boyfriend, a girlfriend, or someone who wasn't familiar with the family. Mm-hmm. And my dad, it, would, it seemed like not even a conscious thing. My dad was just made sure that person felt comfortable mm-hmm. and had a good time. 
and I like that's something that I have a lot of trouble with, you know, relating to people that I <laughs> that I don't know very well already. Yeah, you're, you're suspicious of them. <laughs> yeah, but that's uh, it's not quite as major a thing as your dad, but it is an example my dad set. Well, and it was frankly for me. I mean, it's it has shaped yes part of who I am now. But that didn't happen until I was like sixteen. But um, but yeah, and so. You know, you watch Mystery Science. The and I also I watched Comedy Central and uh, at the time called the Ha Network, um, and uh, and there was stand up comedy. Mm-hmm. Now it was the late eighties, so when I think back on that stand up, most of that stand up comedy was pretty crappy. Um, you know, because it was in that big comedy boom that like various podcasters talk about. Like, oh, it's like <laughs> yes, that's when I got into it, but a lot of other people got into it just so they could get a sitcom deal, and so, um, but just constant just the constant commenting on things not necessarily in a snide way but in a way that just says like there's more to this and and looking at it kind of with a more focused eye even if it's you know buster and babs bunny you know it comes back i remember very vividly uh they come back i was watching tiny tunes they come back from a commercial and then you see uh plucky and hampton and buster and babs and they're all uh, sitting around like a craft service table. Uh-huh. And they're, you know, sitting in like those director's chairs with their names on them. And they're just talking about like, they're talking about like the deals that are coming up, you know, like uh, deals that, that they're working on. Then somebody mentions like, I got to talk to my agent. And then someone's like, hey, we're back on. And they're like, oh, okay. And so they, they jump back into action. There's no reason for that. Uh-huh. Um, but I, at the time, as a kid, I was just like, what, what, what? And it's, it's not like I was stupid enough to think like, oh, the cartoon character, I know that, and then it's not real, but, <laughs> yeah. um, but the, the idea of that being a thing you could do, you can, you can make reference to the fact that this is a show. It doesn't yeah. have to, you if, don't have to well, accept the, re- they're not trying to make you accept the reality. The theme song to Animaniacs is we are Animaniacs, we have pay or play contracts, yeah. which oh. is like super, it still is very insidery. Yeah. No, kids don't understand that. <laughs> um, but I want to bring up, so this will actually get me into something both comedy and otherwise. Um, and this is nerdy. Uh-huh. Uh, one of the big things that, uh, that, so that's okay. So that, that covers like, uh, you know, meta humor. Um, and then I moved into sort of absurdist humor with, with some, uh, other cartoons, but I'll get to that in a second. So probably when I was around 10, I started playing computer games, uh, specific types of computer games yeah. that I think have been, been called adventure games, point and click, whatever. And uh, there were a couple uh, companies, one called Sierra, one called LucasArts. And basically, you would be this character, and then you'd have to solve uh, these puzzles and stuff. Now, it was not first person. Like, you saw the character on the screen, and it'd be like, hey, there's a magnifying glass. I can pick that up, and it's in my inventory now. And I'll use that maybe hours later in the game. But you have it now. And, uh, and so there's an overall story, there's, you know, uh, there's characters that you meet, and they're actually quite story and plot and character heavy, the good ones. Uh, LucasArts was often quite funny, there's one called Day of the Tentacle that I like, there's one called Sam and Max Hit the Road, there's one called Full Throttle. Uh, all of those were comedy, all of those were very cartoony, uh, and then there was the Monkey Island series, which was pretty solid too. Um, and all of them very, very, uh, very meta as well. But then there was a game for Sierra, a game series called Space Quest, and that was like Futurama. Hmm. It was uh, in which you play a character named Roger Wilco, who's a janitor uh, on various uh, spacecraft, and he keeps finding himself involved in these adventures. And 
specifically Space Quest Four is when they first had CD-ROM, which means there there are voices, and they had the narrator. And you heard me do a narrator voice, my narrator uh-huh. voice earlier, and it was ba- like I got that voice from Gary Owens, uh-huh. who was the vo- the the narrator on Space Quest Four, and he. And first off, that that thing was totally meta. Like in Space Quest Four, they uh, there's a time travel quality, and so it mentions that you, so you travel in time to Space Quest Twelve, and stuff like that, and they make reference to that, uh-huh. and uh, <laughs> and stuff like that. And then like there's uh, you're being chased by uh, the sequel police and stuff like that. It was so, and I just really, I just really responded to that, just constantly commenting that this is this is a game. We know it's a game. Like and. Uh, and specifically, one thing, and this can kind of get me into some of the absurd stuff. It's such an easy premise, but you know Gary Owen's voice. Do it, I? He Who's did he? the voice of, uh, he, he was like the narrator on Laugh-In, and he did uh, the voice of Space Ghost in the original cartoon. Okay. You'd know it if you heard it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, it's a very authoritative voice, and the idea of having a, an authoritative voice say silly things is something, I love it. I can, and, and like on start, fishing with John, like on fishing with John, no question. And uh, and so little things like and just getting more and just he's like openly aggressive towards the uh, <laughs> towards the towards the hero, and just like uh, and makes like really juvenile jokes, like uh, you know. And one of the jokes is that like when you take these various things, you carry them on your person; they're part of your inventory. But it's totally impractical that you'd carry you you would have all these things on your person. Some of them are like a giant mask or something like that. And so, um, so there's one where Roger has to pick up a large two by four, mm-hmm. and uh, Garrett, and then the narrator says, "I bet you can't fit that thing in your pants." <laughs> and so then you see uh, Roger Wilco pull his pants open and then just drop it in, and he goes, <laughs> and then. And then, uh, and he goes, oh, I guess I was wrong. There must be plenty of spare room in there. (laughs) It's like the narrator is making a a dick joke to the main character. It's, it's ridiculous. And it's not even, it's not remarkably mature, but I mean, that, that sense of humor was so, and Roger Wilco is also rather bumbling. He's not unlike Philip J. Fry, um, from Futurama and just. It's it is interesting to go back because by the way like all of these are on are like, there's like long plays of them on uh-huh. YouTube so when I discovered that because <laughs> I mentioned earlier I'm a photo editor so I will often have things on in the background while I am working and so it's like yes I think I will listen to these that uh, these noises and bits of dialogue that I haven't heard in twenty years and uh, and so that and then I'll I'll talk more about computer other computer well, games more serious computer games later. right now can I yeah. mention some of my favorite. Uh, jokes from Fishing with John, which sure. are all from the Jim Jarmusch episode. Okay, when he says, "I would love a bite of your sandwich." Okay, that, that might not be from the Jim. Jarmusch that's episode. the Tom Waits. That's the Tom Waits one. Yeah. Okay. Then the other two that I like is when he said, uh, "The fishermen awake early, covered in sores and boners." Yeah. <laughs> and then the best one of all time. It takes a little while. Jim Jarmusch is telling a story to John Lurie about dolphins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And the story is that this woman was out swimming in the ocean. These dolphins kept coming up and with their, like, bottlenoses hitting her in the exact same place on her mm-hmm. chest. All these dolphins hit it just, like, whacking right into the same place on her chest mm-hmm. to where she had this enormous bruise on her chest. Yeah. And she had to go to the doctor. And she went to the doctor and it turned out she had a lump. She had breast cancer in that exact place mm-hmm. and they were able to catch it in time. Yeah. Because these dolphins. Yeah. And the narrator says... 
The amazing thing about Jim's story is that the dolphins knew the woman wasn't aware she had breast cancer. <laughs> well, it starts with, every fisherman has his story. The amazing thing about Jim's story is, yeah, it's just just explaining things and just, uh, and, and just saying stuff like, uh, Tacho has wooden legs but real feet. Uh, just ridiculous things. And it's Rob Webb, who has an even more serious voice uh-huh. uh, than Gary Owens, uh-huh. whose voice has been used for comedy in the past. And I'll, I'll hear Rob Webb show up in like car commercials and stuff. Uh-huh. And I'm like, <laughs> I can't take anything he's saying seriously. And, uh, and so, so that, so like, so then that, so then, uh, then there are various cartoons that I watch. Simpsons, obviously. Uh, the critic was another one, yeah. And then a, a giant one for me was the tick, um, which the tick was not unlike uh, an Eek the cat or a Darkwing duck, which um, not so much Eek the cat, but Darkwing duck and the tick. They took seriously, uh, 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 previously serious things like superheroes, like mm-hmm. Batman the animated series, which I loved, and X Men, which I loved as well. It's not as not quite as good. Um, it took these serious things and made them funny. Now I had seen parody before, but I had not seen I had not seen it played quite so straight as the Tick sometimes plays it. I mean, to the point where when I f- saw the first episode of the Tick, I was just like, ah, this is funny, but I can't tell if I'm supposed to be laughing. Yeah, because the thing I mean, you're talking about parody. I don't think that's the right word because they both the Tick and Darkwing Duck are still superhero adventures. Yeah, yeah, they there's still stakes in that. Yeah. And so it's just, and I, and I mean, I watched like Spaceballs and stuff where there's some more meta humor there, but, uh, but for some reason, like, yeah, what's up with PG movies where they say fuck Spaceballs, eight men out. Spaceballs was PG 13 by that, uh, by that time, 13 was I'm around. I'm pretty sure Spaceballs is PG. Okay. I'm going to look it up. I, I could very, I could be wrong. Um, um, and then also 18 again with George Burns rated PG. Full frontal female nudity. Kick ass. I um, feel like I'd really uh, talk about me as a kid. Uh, well, not, not a perv, but kids, you know, boys yeah, yeah. Boys are interested in seeing breasts at a certain age. Yeah. There's no, nothing wrong with that. And uh, my mom rented 18 again because it seemed innocent. It's got George Burns and it's rated PG. She obviously didn't watch it with me. And I think I probably was like, I really like 18 again. You should watch, you should rent that a couple more times. <laughs> uh so clever um yeah and so uh so i feel like when i look at what my sense of humor is now which is if i'm being you know if at best it is absurdist and uh you know re- and removed and uh and uh, witty rated, and insightful space balls rated pg oh my gosh and it's right there out of order fuck even in the future nothing works yeah yeah, it's like right there. Weird. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, and so, and I can point, and I feel like I can point to all of these things that I watched: stand-up comedy, Mystery Science Theater three thousand, Tiny Toons, Spaceballs, The Tick, uh, these various video games, uh, computer games, and stuff. Um, put them in a blender, and then just add general, you know, human experience to it, and I think you wind up with my sense of humor now. Hopefully, I don't know. We'll see. Well, I think. Uh, the, the final key to my sense of humor and the thing I hinted at as being maybe one of the most formative is something that was also from middle school that I would also watch at my friend's house who had cable. Um, and that's the kids in the hall. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because that is also very silly 
and brainy, but also in a way that Monty Python wasn't. Kids in the Hall was uh, not afraid to be dark. And when I say dark, I don't just mean like, like I don't know if you watch Metalocalypse, which is a funny show, but there's a lot of like death and dismemberment and gore in that show, and that's funny too. But that's not what I'm talking about. Like Kids in the Hall was often very sad. Oh yeah, uh, and funny at the same time, and that's. That's a that's a difficult tone to strike to begin with, but also one that just really resonated with me. Like, were you able to, were you able to figure out why you were laughing? Every once in a while, I know, it'd be like, "This is funny," and I and I, I don't know why. I think it was kind of like your tick thing, although I was maybe a couple years older by this point. But like, the chicken lady, like oh. finding her like so silly and hilarious, but also like disturbing, nightmarish, and. The chicken lady is disturbing to look at, but then when she talks about her life, I don't know if you know the one where she like leads like a film crew through her like childhood home. It's like the saddest thing in the world. Yeah, and it's also just it's it's really funny. And I think yeah, the first time I I got to that part of it, I was probably not not sure why I was laughing, but I I was compelled to stick to stick with it. You know, there's also like I was about the same way about that. Uh... The flying pig. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey. You know, and then <laughs> yeah. he eventually gets cooked, I think, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's also one, uh, this is an early one, where uh, about um, Scott Thompson, who, who was the gay mm-hmm. one from the Kids in the Hall, basically in an abusive relationship. <laughs> I don't know if you're like, he's dating, he's dating like a big sort of like muscle bound, like mm-hmm. beefcake type of guy. And he like beats him up or he like beats up scott thompson and it's man oh man unfortunate but also funny and then also from the later seasons and this ties back into the film thing because kids in the hall i would say uh, more so than any other sketch show by the fourth and fifth seasons of kids in the hall they were getting really filmic with their sketches they were really learning how to use the camera and use cinematic techniques to make things funny Mm -hmm. and there's one that is i feel like it's not a kids in the hall sketch that gets talked about as much but it's one of my favorites of all time where the premise is that dave foley is this old man he's sort of like the mr burns of this town and the reason he runs the town is because he has a basement full of monkeys yeah and everyone is afraid of him because if he lets the monkeys out it's going to be pandemonium it's going to be bedlam yeah and so and he just torments people yeah like about and, and so there's the part where he gets into his like town car and mark mckinney's playing his driver and he's like he's like good morning mr whatever he's like just want to let you know how happy i uh, the wife and i are that you haven't let the monkeys out and dave foley's like and his old man carries like yeah i figure i'll let him out tomorrow <laughs> and mark mckinney's like oh and he's like <laughs> and he just starts yeah. laughing about it and, and i think he ends with something oh yeah a a weird distinction it's like i don't have the power because i have the monkeys i have the power because i'm not afraid to let the monkeys out (laughs) yeah and just and just looking with this dead-eyed stare he's clearly like 95 or 100 (laughs) yeah i don't have the power yeah it's oh i love that it's an insane it's insanely weird and kind of there's a sadness to it you know like mark Mark mckinney's character there and uh the wife and i yeah that's uh just <laughs> this blue collar guy sucking up to this uh that's delightful so i think that's why if i had to uh, i don't like you know reducing uh to things but if i had to pick 
one thing that is the most influential on my sense of humor and even just my taste and personality in general, it's probably, it's probably the kids in the hall. But um, I, I wanted okay, to get ahead. back into film. Okay. That, uh, yeah, that's... And, and uh, I mean, I'll end. I, I'm sure you have more to say. But one of the questions I didn't read earlier in our first segment is from uh, at Thin White Duke. That's Thin underscore White underscore Duke. And his question is, what was the first film you saw that really made a huge impression and demonstrated the power of cinema? Any long-time listener knows, for me, it's Barton Fink. That's mm-hmm. why Barton Fink is still my favorite film of all time. Uh, and uh, that, you know, as much of an, like, art house type film as Barton Fink is, I really think if I hadn't seen, if I wasn't familiar with Kids in the Hall, I might not have been able to handle Barton Fink. Mm-hmm. Because it's so strange and sad and incredibly funny. Mm-hmm. Uh and and just obviously powerfully cinematic, like making you like we're talking about with other, with the comedy stuff, the power of cinema making me feel things that I don't understand. I understand why this is making me feel this way. Like why mm-hmm. am I feeling this sort of this not not that I would have been able to describe it such in eighth grade, but this like cathartic surge of energy when the hotel Earl starts going up in flames and. John Goodman is running down the hall screaming maniacally. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I didn't understand at the time why I was feeling that way. And I still I mean, I still don't entirely. That's what makes it such a, such a great film. But then also, <laughs> that scene, I guess I'm giving spoilers for Barton Fink, but come on. Uh, that that little shot of him running down the hall ends with him pulling out a shotgun and putting it in the cop's face and then saying, for no reason at all. No reason at all. Heil Hitler. Yeah. And, <laughs> and just says it and just... Heil Hitler. <laughs> yeah. And just like like it's the last piece in the puzzle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like it's the last piece in the puzzle when it's the opposite. It's it opens up a whole new re- like realm of questions. <laughs> yeah. Uh and uh obviously that's also a movie that has um darkness in it, you know, there's uh death and other other sorts of things that happen in it and uh uh yeah, that was a uh, that's that's why I saved that question because it seemed to tie into our to our topic today. Mine is probably uh, maybe two pronged because and I, and I'm there might be an earlier example of this and I can't think of it, but off the top of my head, uh, the Maltese Falcon and Doctor Strangelove, um, because this was at the time when I was no longer satisfied with the movies that that I had that, that were aimed at people my age, and so I just went into a video store uh, and. Uh, <laughs> went to like the classic section and just said, what looks, what looks interesting. It's such a weird way in uh-huh. retrospect um, to just go back and be like, Oh, here's uh, this guy, Humphrey Bogart that I've never seen anything of his, but uh-huh. I know who he is by just cultural osmosis. Yeah. Um, yeah here's him in a little statue of a black bird and he looks pretty world weary. Let's give it a, <laughs> I, I'm sure I didn't think that, but just like, let's give that a shot. And then Dr. Strangelove, the old VHS, had a picture of Peter Sellers as Strangelove looking crazy. I didn't even know it was a comedy. And, uh, and so I just... I don't think I knew it was a comedy the first time I saw it either. Yeah. Uh, but... It's incredibly funny. <clears throat> Who's the... Um, you would know, because you know uh, you're good at the cast. The Peter Sellers, who's over on the base with mm-hmm. Sterling Hayden. Who's the <laughs> the military officer who... Op- shoots open the uh, Coca-Cola vending oh, machine. Do you uh, know Ke- that? Keenan Wynn. Keenan Wynn. Yeah. That 
that sh- that thing with the Coca Cola and like yeah is the funniest thing in the world to me. I think you're some kind of prevert. <laughs> that whole thing, <laughs> yeah. And it's just and that's the thing is so you mentioned that like if it weren't for kids in the hall, you might not have an appreciation for uh, for Barton Fink. Um, and I think with those two, certainly like. Dr. Strangelove, like, I was laughing at things that I felt like inherently I shouldn't be laughing at, and and any number of the things that, and I was probably laughing at it the same way that Stanley Kubrick was, which was, he was only able to laugh at it if he removed himself, and kind Mm -hmm. of distanced himself from it, and saw the inherent silliness of it all. And of course, everything that I had seen growing up taught me to do that, and just recognize, like, you can laugh at anything. If I can laugh at, uh... You know, the uh, if I can laugh at the idea of Joseph Stalin being a villain in The Tick uh-huh. right next to the human ton and his little friend Handy <laughs> right next to the man-eating cow, like Joseph Stalin, yeah. millions of his own people dead. Yeah. And he's being used in this, co- in this kid's comedy show as a villain. Yeah. Like that makes it o- that if you can laugh at that, you can laugh at anything. You know, it, oh, more specifically, point. if you are allow, if somebody allows you to laugh at that, you can laugh at anything. And so that's the one thing. The other thing, the reason I think that Maltese Falcon, like, uh, it, it just struck such a deep chord, is uh, I'm going to talk about a couple other, uh, another computer game, and then uh, Batman the Animated Series. That is such a fascinating show, and I know we've talked about it uh, before, so I won't go into a lot of detail. But one of the things that most got me was first off the visual style was amazing yeah and i didn't know at the time that it was harkening back to something earlier but um but also the idea of the sympathetic but still evil or at least malicious villain you watch any number of the of the the villains in uh batman the animated series and all, and they all experience the things that we've all experienced. They just take one, they make one choice instead of another. Yeah. But and That's, Clayface is the one that that episode. Yeah. How many episodes was Clayface in? A total of I think three or four. Yeah, not many. His first was a two-parter. Okay, I think that two-parter is one that like uh, rocked me. Oh yeah, me my core. And there's a little bit, little bit of music. That if this were a different episode, I would I would ask us to incorporate <laughs> it, and it was so damn sad. And it's like this is the villain's theme, this tragic piece of music that is not malicious at all. And like the Mad Hatter's got one, Riddler's got one. Um, you see Penguin, who is he's not crazy, he's just a crime lord. But then you see what happens when he tries to go straight, and people do not let him forget that he's still this short, stocky, deformed guy. Uh-huh. And so like. So that idea of the villain that is not just pure evil, just somebody who made some bad choices, you know, you see that and suddenly Sidney Greenstreet and Peter Lorre and certainly certainly Mary Astor, like none of them seem really that bad and not, and they don't, and Humphrey Bogart doesn't seem that great. Um, Yeah. And so, and so I will bring up quite possibly my favorite computer game ever and i'm sorry to keep bringing these up but having gone back and like listened to these i realized like man these things were incredibly formative to me and uh it was a game by sierra and it was called gabriel knight sins of the fathers uh Uh, i yes it's a very uh lofty title (laughs) but it's so character driven and so well acted and well written and it's basically about this guy living in new orleans 
um, who is a writer who, who writes crappy novels and uh, but he and he runs a little book a uh, little bookshop and then he discovers that in his family history he there's like a line of uh, he comes from this long line of like supernatural detectives and stuff like that and so uh, his involvement researching like a series of voodoo related murders in New Orleans causes this to kind of be awakened and Tim Curry does his voice but does like a really over exaggerated southern accent um, by the way did you ever read the Dirk Gently novels. It's uh, Douglas Adams who did oh, the uh, no, no. You told me about two him. novels about a guy named Dirk Gently uh, who is a holistic detective. That's the one. Yes, <laughs> it's Dirk Gently's holistic holistic detective agency, and mm-hmm. then the Long Dark Tea Time of the Soul. Yes, the yes. two books. Those um, are amazing. And so, and that's the thing. This is not a comedy. There are humorous moments in it, but it is very dramatic, and it is incredibly. First off, it's very well researched because as the character is researching things about, ostensibly for his book, you're also finding about finding out about the history of voodoo, and uh, and and you discover and uh, long story short, the woman that he finds himself getting involved with romantically happens to be the head of the uh, voodoo cult, and um, and he at the end has to make a choice about whether he's going to let her live or die, mm-hmm. and you do get you do get to make that choice. Oh wow. And uh, it's pretty rough. By the way, if you choose to let her die, she'll kill you. Um, <laughs> she'll br- she takes you down with her. But um, but it's such an interesting idea, and it's very dark tonally. Uh-huh. Uh, the character wakes up with nightmares. He's a womanizer. He's he's very quite selfish a lot of the time. And so you look at that, and like the he really is quite an uh, uh, like an antihero. And so many of the movies that I like have a, a character yeah. that really is not that much more sympathetic than the villains. And so you look at that and you see Sam Spade and you see a guy who is a womanizer who's cheating with his, uh, you know, cheating with his partner's wife Mm -hmm. and is willing to be corrupt and all that sort of thing. And so, so these two movies that got me to think about movies in a different way, I might not have even seen those movies the way they should have been seen. Cause I read, cause I'm sure you've experienced this. I recommended Dr. Strangelove to some of my friends uh-huh. and I was too young to realize not everyone has, not to say that I was better than other people, but that they did not have the parents I had. They didn't watch the things that I watched and they, and they weren't, they didn't, it didn't, they didn't have that yearning that I had, which was to want something other than what was marketed to me. Yeah. And again, that's not to say that these, these, these were, these were friends, you know, best uh-huh. friends. So, and they're not dumb. Um, but, uh, but you know, I gave. Uh, I, I would. I own. I bought these movies on VHS, so I would lend Reversal of Fortune <laughs> and Doctor Strangelove and Maltese Falcon. I would lend it to my friends, and they'd be like, "I, I watched Reversal of Fortune my sophomore year of college. I might still have been too young for that movie." I, man, <laughs> I. I don't know what it was, but I was. I, w- I was going to say at the right age. I, I think you. I think like forty-five is the right age. But like for some reason, I was just very open to seeing that. Um, it's. It turns out it's a very good movie. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. But like, yeah. So it's. Uh, but my friends just didn't think Doctor Strangelove was funny at all. They thought it was dumb. They thought Maltese Falcon was boring. Um, they thought Reversal of Fortune was also boring. Um, they liked. I did see the original Cape Fear, and they they seemed to like that. Uh. Um, but uh, but that's made with a, a fairly modern sensibility. Um, but it was just, uh, and so you know, it's. And I'm sure, and and I in the comments section of this episode, I'd like to hear, you know, listeners talk about yeah. the things in their childhoods that shaped 
I mean, we kind of talked about, uh, we, we kind of, we haven't done much of this talk about like how these things shaped who they are as people, but at the very, but at the very least who they are as film watchers and as art appreciators. Um, yeah, and that's probably a good place to wrap up. I do want to mention a couple of things, um, cause we've been talking about like our taste preparing us for stuff. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple of movies that came out in the, uh, late nineties into 2000 that were, didn't do well upon their initial release, but have become sort of appreciated cult classics. And I think I was, to toot my own horn, I guess, able to recognize them as being great right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those two movies are 1997 Starship Troopers. Yeah. Is that right? The right year? Yes, that's right. For that? Because that's, yeah, an incredibly violent uh, movie that is also incredibly funny. And yeah. its corniness um, is 100% intentional. Yeah. Uh, and then from, I think, 2000, American Psycho, a movie that I think sort of like maybe Cabin in the Woods is, um, or, or Josie and the Pussycats, a movie that's almost impossible to market. Yeah. It's almost impossible to get across what this movie really is yeah. without getting across. Uh, instead, what you get across is you end up advertising the exact movie that it's not, the exact movie that it's making fun yeah. of. Um, and so American Psycho, I think... Um, a lot of people probably saw it expecting maybe another seven. Yeah, yeah. Um, and not realizing that it's a, a, an incredibly dark comedy. I feel like you and I are sort of like that with uh, Ravenous, but then I realize, well, that hasn't caught on yet. <laughs> like there is a there is a strong contingent. Is there of, okay of Ravenous? Okay, um, fans, right. I, uh, which is good. More I, people need to like Ravenous. I will bring uh, one thing up, and this is another uh, testament to uh, my father that uh, I watched. He and I watched Fargo uh, when it was a new release, so I was probably fourteen, fifteen, and um, and I thought it was great. And and I that's one where I definitely could not quite put my finger on what was so great about it. I didn't. I, I feel like we talked about this before. When I watched Fargo today, I still rewatch it often. Depending on what mood I'm in, I may or may not find it to be a comedy. Do, oh yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, there's there's certain things like you know. So you were having sex with the little fella. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like there's, there's funny things in it, but, um, just, yeah. Um, St- Steve Buscemi trying to get out of the parking lot without paying while yeah. bleeding from the neck. Yeah. Depending on my mood, that's either really gruesome and harrowing or incredibly hilarious. Yeah. Well, and it's and it, that's the thing; it can be both yeah. uh, at the yeah. exact same time. And incidentally, that uh, that genre defiance uh, did not uh, did not sit well with my friends. That I because <laughs> really? that that's that's a movie that like I mean that's the thing I don't claim to understand it even now. I think there's stuff going on with that movie that that defies defies intellect, but seems to speak seems to be completely and totally true um, in a lot of ways and. Uh, and I just, I, all I knew is I loved it. Yeah. I recommended it to my friends. Even with the violence, they didn't like it? Even with the, oh my, no, yeah. Because huh. it's not the kind, it's not, that's, Reservoir Dogs, they got that. Yeah. I saw that when I was younger. They understood that. You know what movie, which is not a movie I no longer stand by, but that I recommended to people at the time that they didn't like despite its violence is Natural Born Killers. Mm-hmm. Because, I remember I had watched it a couple times and I, I loved that movie in like late middle school, early high school. I watched it constantly. Yeah. And I know now that it's not that great. Um, but I, I've seen it a couple of times. And I watched it with my friend Ben. And, you, you know, you've seen Natural Born Killers. Yeah. It's 
constantly shifting. There's a billion shots yeah. in color and black and white and animated. You know, everything's very. It's different film stocks. Everything's yeah. sort of cartoonish, but then realistic. Um, and so the if somebody scene, wanted to parody Oliver Stone's style, they would make yeah. that movie. Except he did. Um, yeah, the opening scene, like in the in the diner, where the woman's like, uh, I can't remember. Uh, Olan Jones, I think, is the actress's name. It's uh, like, yes, it's an acquired taste about the key lime pie. Mm-hmm. But then uh, when Mickey shoots the chef as she comes out, and she's like. Like, <laughs> do you remember this? This shot? Yeah, yeah. It's like it zooms in on her, like where you're seeing the bullet. Yeah, like it's slowing down in front of the, and it's very cartoonish, and there's a big blood splatter. So I was watching it. We're like three minutes into the movie, and my friend Ben is like, "It's not like this the entire time, <laughs> is it?" Yeah. Oh, yeah. and incidentally, uh, you mentioning mentioning Natural Born Killers has caused me to remember a movie that you like, and I think, "What is wrong with you?" Uh-huh. The Doom Generation. <laughs> that movie again it, you know what though it's so as, funny as time has gone on i've actually kind of i don't like it but i at least understand what it's what it's trying to yeah, do I think a little bit more. super funny yeah it's and i think i like that greg araki like eventually to me this is my narrative of it he sort of like silenced his haters when he made mysterious skin by being like i'm not a fucking amateur i know what i'm doing i'm yes. making these decisions on purpose i yeah. can do this you know, uh, I, I could do this if I wanted to. And mm-hmm. he made Mysterious Skin, which is, I think it was, it was, it remains my top film of 2005. Five. Yeah. 2005. Yeah. That's a, that's a wonderful film. Um, yeah. And so, uh, weird place to end, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I would like to hear from, from listeners, uh, and just the things that, that you feel, and this might be a lofty idea, but the things that made you who you are today. Yeah. And of course there are so many things that we're not even, mentioning you know like the music of weird al yankovic i think that's for a big me, one yeah. was a big one for me and so yeah that's a good point th- there's just so much stuff i mean dick tracy did a lot for me the original batman uh tim burton in general um and just that's the thing like i wonder how many people now how many like film people love german expressionism because tim burton right. happened to come along at just the right time yeah. You know, it's 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 such a fascinating thing to think about um, for my own life. So yes, I would like to hear the story of other people as well. So let's, why don't you guys do that? Um, you can do that at battleshippretension.com where you can also read all sorts of reviews and find links to the other podcasts in our fleet. By the way, we had I kept meaning to mention in the past weeks. Uh, somewhat coincidentally, two of members of the fleet, auteur cast and sequel cast, were doing Star Wars at the same time. Yeah, it was, it was fun to see. All this Star Wars, yeah. Input. One one podcast hated it. One podcast loved it. Very, very interesting. <laughs> I'm joking, of course. Um, so the, yeah, the, those sorts of things go on over at battleshipretention.com. But also, you can you can comment. Uh, you can email us if what you have to say is not uh, fit for public consumption at david at battleshipretention.com or tyler at battleshipretention.com. You can find me, David, on Twitter at the pretension. Find Tyler on Twitter at more lessons. That's the official Twitter of his other podcast, more than one lesson, which is at more than one lesson.com. And my other podcast, I guess, who, if I ever do it again is previously on, that's at previously on show.com. Although the thing I talked about, I think last week that I might have a different other podcast, uh, late March, early April, might have our first episode all right so very exciting yeah that'll be fun keep an eye out for that and i'll make an announcement obviously a more official announcement once i have more details indeed such as the name of the show all right uh so thanks for listening and we'll and and yeah thanks for listening for six years yes and we'll get you next time
Bye-bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 